Hello team and welcome to episode 444 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Prathana Shah. Prathana is a specialist in preventative cardiovascular medicine and an integrative health coach. Based out of Mumbai, India, Prathana is committed to help her patients prioritize their health and fitness to prevent and reverse lifestyle diseases. She does this by combining her medical experience and coaching experience to find an approach that makes sense to the person she's working with to help them on their path towards their best and healthiest life. In this episode, you can expect to learn what is the wheel of health and why it's so important, what to do if you're at ground zero with your health and don't know where to start, along with what advice Profana has to the older generation who may be more stuck in their ways of thinking. So without further ado, Dr. Prathana Shah. Prathana Shah, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm great. Uh, it's great to be here and I'm glad we're having this conversation. It's amazing to have you. I'm excited to dive deep into it. But before we do, can you give the listeners a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? Uh, all right. So I'm a doctor. Essentially, my, I've done my postgraduate in preventive cardiovascular medicine. And I'm also an integrative health coach at Duke University. And then I'm also... I've just about finished my course at IIM, that's the Institute of Integrated Nutrition. And I'm building an online practice in health coaching, indicative health, and I also consult patients on lifestyle diseases. Amazing. And what about you started within this industry? What got you interested in looking into the health and wellness of people? Well, it's really been a journey to get here, definitely. I was, so I found fitness essentially when I was in medical school. While I was studying, um, I started CrossFit. So that's how I got into the fitness space, essentially. And it was really a way for me to be stressed from college afterwards. And, you know, just it, I found a new sense of confidence and a new sense of strength, essentially. And I developed into this person I wasn't earlier. And so it was great to, you know, sort of meet someone, essentially. And I was very into CrossFit for a long time. And I also was bordering at that time on PCOS and I was fat. And I sort of over a couple of years sort of transformed my health. I lost a lot of weight. I realized that a lot of this is, you know, preventive health and really lifestyle. I, you know, I had it sorted out and all of that. And so when I sort of finished medical college, I decided that I wanted to do something in the preventive space. And that led me to my postgraduate degree. And then again, with preventive health, a lot of it is lifestyle. And so I found that, you know, while I was talking to my patients, I'm only able to sort of tell them about lifestyle modifications without really having the time to see whether they're actually doing it or not. So I found coaching and I feel like with that, I can really work on working on their lifestyle and actually working with them mostly and seeing that they actually make these changes to really have the changes that they want and lead healthy and happier lives. Absolutely. No, I love that. And I think that you've gone for a very, very complete approach where you can not only give them the information, but you can deliver it, make sure that they're taking action on it as well. But before we transition more into the coaching side of things, I want to go back to the very beginning of your journey, did you grow up in a healthy household? Was it something that was kind of quite known to you or was it something where you had to kind of take your own path? So it was very known to me. I'm actually, my parents are doctors, my grandparents are doctors. So it's a healthy home, especially oh, wow. in that sense. Fit 
I mean, my mom actually used to do CrossFit earlier. And so during, I actually had a break in medical college and a, a like summer break. And that's when I joined CrossFit with her because I was inspired by her sort of doing these new and interesting things. And then, of course, I shifted it to the time that I was used to post-college and then it just went through. Amazing. Yeah, it's great that you had that influence and you've been able to carry that over as well. Do you feel that there's a big difference between the work that your parents and your grandparents did compared to what you do today? Because realistically, the scope of life has changed massively, right? With the differences in the accessibility to food, in terms of our knowledge and education as well. So do you feel that your practices and the way that you approach the modern world is slightly different to the way that they did? I think it's really different, definitely, because even now, I mean, traditional allopathic medicine, most modern modern healthcare systems are focusing on sick care and not really on health care. And I mean, healthcare in the sense of, you know, looking after your health in that sense. And it's mostly focusing on people who are already sick and you're trying to treat their diseases and sort of, you're not really looking at a preventive approach. So I know that the U.S. now has, um, is emerging as there is a postgraduate in preventive therapy, lifestyle medicine is emerging there. With uh, me being in India, I had to really sort of prove, that's why my postgraduate degrees are from the U.K. and the U.S. because we don't have that here, especially it's just regular allopathic sick care medicine. And so it is really different and it's been challenging even in my own generation because most of my college mates have you know, gone the traditional path and I decided to break those norms and do things a little differently and mix it around. And it's been a journey and it's evolved, but I've finally gotten to where I want to go. Yeah, it's amazing. And what about the cultural aspect as well? Like I've worked with a lot of Indians, mainly based in the UK or Canada or US or other parts of the world. But I find that that culture is coming with a lot of transitions in the modern era as well. There's many people who are trying to break into this new path, trying to set the tone for the next generation that they're going to have ultimately when they their children become come into this world. But it's a tough culture in that sense to shift because a lot of it is based around the food. A lot of it's not too exercise focused per se. A lot of it is about being encouraged to hold a little extra body fat as well. That's definitely what I've heard from my clients over these past years as well. How have you found that cultural shift, especially being in India as well, where ultimately that's going to be where it's really originating from and most prevalent? I uh, Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. I mean, there is sort of two sort of schools to this entire thing because there is this one very modern generation well-traveled well-educated generation that is now very fitness focused and Uh, i know there are a lot of fitness communities and people who are very well informed now but then there is also this very traditional uh you know people who are rooted in their culture very deep and yes the food it is very food focused so a lot of most traditional households have a lot of oil in their food and they have a lot of fat and they there is lack of information around what is right, what is wrong, what you should or shouldn't eat. And so I think the lack of knowledge on the most part is what drives these diseases. Yeah, and that's why it's the job of you and I to open up the eyes and to start bringing that information to the forefront. And not only that, also allow people to take action on it, right? As well, as I said, in terms of the new generation, as you mentioned as well, there is a lot of fitness community. There's a lot of people who are traveled who are starting to make those changes. And I think that that's the key to success, ultimately, I think it just starts with a few people making those changes and then 
gradually but surely the transition happens that we get into a much more healthier lifestyle so i love that and something that i've noticed that you do a lot in your work is you've mentioned that there's this wheel of health can you go through those different components and why they're so important i was very interested about those because they include other elements that maybe wouldn't traditionally be put on a quote-unquote health fitness program so can you run us through the components of the wheel of health yeah definitely so it starts with things like of course your physical health your activity your nutrition your but things like even your physical environment and then you have things like uh, your mental health your emotional well-being even your financial well-being plays a role somewhere because it adds to your stress and it affects your mental health and so all of these things are very interconnected with each other and one thing affects the other and that's one of the ethos of my you know my method of coaching is we look at the entire aspect of your life where each aspect can you know, usually you know, affect the other and so it's a more integrative approach and all of these things in the end impact your health and you know affect who you are as a person and how you show up in the world and so it's important to work on every aspect and not look at a disease or a symptom but actually look at the larger picture and what it is doing to the rest of your life mm. and how to get people to focus on all of these elements because sometimes it's hard enough to just get people to eat a little bit better to exercise a little bit more but now we're going into things like financial well-being management of stress environment etc how do you get people to focus on those as well without getting overwhelmed with all the things that they have to do yeah so i mean with management of stress which is one thing i do personally because i've gotten to uh after i did my coaching i realized this aspect is important what i do a lot is mindfulness i try to do about five or ten minutes in the morning because i don't get much time after that but I try to do that. I do, I have a coaching practice. I mean, I have a, sorry, a journaling practice that I do every day. And so there are these certain methods that I use for my journaling. One of them is something called morning pages. I don't know if you've heard of it from the artist. No, go for it. Tell us about it. This is a book. This is a book, which is very interesting. I read about it in the book. And what they tell you to do is essentially stream consciousness writing, where you sit down in three pages a day blank. It's just what you're thinking about or what is at the top of your mind. It may be positive, it may be negative. You just sort of write it down and forget about it. You don't go back to reading it. It's not like goals or things that you want to go back to and read. It's this essentially a word vomit in a way onto the page. But what it does, it, it unblocks your mind. So you're not thinking about that constantly. You've taken it down, written it down on paper, and it's out of the book. And so you can then focus on more important things. So it's essentially clearing space in your brain in a way to look at other things. So I try to do that as one way to de-stress and sort of release things from my mind. Mm. So it's just about applying a small amount of space in the early stages of the day to set yourself up for success ultimately. And I imagine that clearing of space makes the rest of those things just that little bit easier as well, right? Exactly, yeah. You then have the time and energy to focus on other important things without dwelling on these certain things that might be negative. They, but they could be positive, maybe you're dwelling on something great that happened, but maybe you need to be focusing on other things that not just that yeah. whatever it is you're dwelling on. For sure. And I can imagine that a lot of people, when they see your wheel of health, they're like, okay, I get that I need to exercise, I get that I need to eat well, maybe I need to manage my stress as well. But another couple of ones that you've got on there is fulfillment of purpose. There's also physical environment as well. And I can imagine most people maybe, you know, in general life, I think most people ignore those things. They're like, well, I don't really see the importance of this. 
how do you get people to prioritize those ones specifically? Maybe sleep is another one as well. I think we all know the importance, but sometimes we don't prioritize it in the way that we should. How do you get people to start prioritizing those? And why is, for example, fulfillment of purpose so important to a health and wellness journey? So let's start with fulfilling purpose. So what I tend to do is a lot of it is with my Instagram and I'd like to have a lot of information around it. I'm trying to create newsletters and sort of a, a lot of awareness around it is one thing that I look at. And what I do with a lot of clients who come to me with my coaching is I have this wheel of health. I have a sort of scale uh, where I ask them to rate where they are on all these aspects in a scale of one to ten, where they are now and then where they would like to be. And so it just gets you thinking and sort of gets your juices flowing in the brain. And then you realize, oh, I'm not fulfilled or, oh, I'm not getting enough sleep or things like that. And it just makes you think. So I touch upon all these different topics and there people sort of work, find their goals and be like, okay, I need to work on this or this. And then we start thinking. Amazing. And when you get people to that kind of ground zero level and start building up, I think one thing that's very nice is when people start, they're usually quite excited. They're quite motivated to get going. But then things come up, life comes up, you know, like you said, you don't have a lot of time in the morning, let's say, you know, one day you accidentally wake up late. How do you continue doing the things that you know you need to do, especially when they maybe aren't as excited as they once were, they maybe require a little bit of discipline to do on a day-to-day basis. How do you get people to continue doing the things that they know they need to be doing when maybe they're not quite as motivated as when they first started? Yeah, so that's, that's the challenge through coaching because the habit change is really difficult. Essentially, what habit changes is creating new neural pathways in your brain because your older habits are already neural pathways in your brain. So when you actually make a habit, you are actually physically creating neural pathways in your brain and you actually need to keep working on it. Usually it takes about three months, they say, to, you know, create new habits and actually stick to it. So when people are not as motivated as they are sometimes touching back or sometimes giving them a little nudge helps them sort of realize the importance and the kind of questions you ask them makes them really think about why it is important to them. And you sort of get them to really dig deep within and realize why these things are important to them. And they kind of come up with, you know, really important reasons in their lives why they need to do these things. And it sort of does help them create these changes yeah absolutely so really understanding the core components of why they're doing something and then also kind of relayering and relaying that habit time and time again to make sure that it ultimately sticks as well and like you said if you remind people that they're kind of building a new neural pathway they just ultimately stick it through with each time they do it it's kind of getting more locked in and more locked in as well so and that's a a good takeaway and do you have any other advice when it comes to habit building as well because i think that's a big component that if people can kind of get down they would really really benefit from yeah, so another thing i also be, uh, now do is called habit stacking uh, if you've read the atomic habits book so i yeah, try to do book. that a lot so when i'm trying to do something new that i don't do often i try to so what they say essentially in the book is you if it's a new habit that you want to form you put it before or after something that you already do and then you sort of reward yourself with something after so say i went for a uh, walk today and so i will have say a uh, a break where i'm you know now talking to my family and i'm taking a break out from work but anything that gives you joy and is a sort of reward after i didn't say eat a chocolate because if you go for a walk you can eat it becomes counterproductive after, right yeah. yeah exactly yeah so good things like that that give you joy and is essentially a reward after so you sort of look forward to the reward and so you do the habit before and that helps you sort of 
stick to the habit and build those habits in them. So that is one method that I really use. And how do you use habits back in your life? Can you give us some more practical examples? I think people would, would really like to like hang on to these practices. What other ways do you use habit stacking personally? Well, habit stacking, one thing, so for me was when I started exercise, I was a big part of the table when I started. It was hard. I, it, it, I was just sore and all of those things. But what I would do is then I would look at my future self, what I ended up doing. For me, the reward was seeing the results. And right. I would remind myself of these little results. So I had things like these little post-its and I would stick them around my bedroom. And I would keep looking at them and they were sort of reminders to me about why I wanted to do these things that I wanted to do. And it sort of egged me on to then continue doing these so that was one thing. Now, so I did was put reminders in my clothes. That was another very practical thing that I did. Was sort of add a reminder that go exercise today. So that would again remind me that I need to do it. And it helped me stay accountable. Another thing that also helps is having an accountability partner. Mm. So like the anybody in your family, you know, you sit down with somebody and you tell them these are the things I want to do, but I'm not very accountable and I, you know, end up missing, say, the exercise or not eating right or whatever it is that you want to change in your life. And they sort of you give them permission to sort of remind you if you feel like you're slacking somewhere or if they feel like you're slacking somewhere. And that helps you stay accountable because you're also, in a way, answerable, not in a bad way, but in a way that then makes you remi- like remember about certain aspects and you want to then do it and you feel like you're also answerable to someone else. So I feel like that also helps. Yeah, I like those two things a lot. First, it's like having the practical reminders of A, what you need to do on a day-to-day basis, then B, why you're doing it to ensure that you remain motivated. And then third, having that layer of accountability underneath so that you have someone that you're pretty much like relying on to help you push you in that direction as well. And I think that's the power of A, using someone like a friend or a family member, but using a coach as well, where you can realistically rely on that person every time to give you that little bit of motivation where it's missing. And it's also easy for us to sometimes use another person's accountability partner versus using ourselves. So I like that aspect as well. And you touched on family, and I'm very interested about the family dynamic. You obviously grew up in a house full of doctors, and that probably made it a little bit easier. But I know a lot of the challenges that my clients personally go through is that maybe they are the first one in their family to start leading this healthy path and they're feeling the pressure from other people they may be getting a lot of like not only pressure from the sense of okay we're doing something different i'm taking this new path but also they're getting comments like well why are you doing this like maybe you already thin enough or maybe it's a sense of saying well you're only going to fail again with this weight loss pursuit or this health improvement pursuit and sometimes there can be a pretty negative dynamic even in a family setting which has surprised me but at this point it's it's fairly normal, unfortunately. So what advice do you give to people who maybe are the first within their family to start stepping into a healthier and fitter lifestyle to deal with the peer pressure that's going on around them and maybe the cultural pressure as well? I think you just have to be really determined, I think, because it's something, I mean, not in a bad way, but even I faced it because I, when I lost all that weight, I became a really thin person. Definitely with my grandparents, there was always that, why do you need to do so much weight? Oh, you've become so thin. So there is that sense of, you know, because it's just a cultural difference and an age difference, I think. And so I think a lot of it, you, you just have to be really determined with what you want to do. You know, we're doing the right thing. So you have to just listen to people, realize that they come from a place of concern, but just, you know, not take it to heart and just do what you need to do because you know that's what you want to do and not really. You focus on what other people are saying and just focus on what you need to do. 
I would do and what I do essentially. And have you gone to a stage where you were able to talk to your grandparents and just like get them to understand that it's a new generation, you're going for a different thing? Do they ever get to a point where they understand or is it this acceptance that, like you said, is a generational difference, is an age difference, maybe they just never going to understand it and you've come to peace with that or do you kind of been able to bring them over to your side a little bit more? So I think it happened in the middle with me a lot of it. So my grandparents are very modern in the sense that they're also doctors and so they understand health and fitness and all of that. They were also very modern in the sense they were always working, they were always my granddad loves his cricket, he loves playing, you know, games and all of that. But they are not of the generation where they, it, there's that much of a generation gap, at least mentally there isn't that much of a generation gap, although age-wise there is. But I mean, there are certain things like maybe the weight or things like that. So there is a bit of, you have to, I suppose, live and let live. You have to do your thing in life. Respect that they come from a space of concern and love. And just, you know, do your thing and you do your thing. I'm glad that you say that because I have a lot of clients who go through this and they find it very, very hard to let go of it. Like, in some senses, they find maybe not accepting the food from the family as a form of disrespect. They just can't deal with the constant comments about like why they're not specifically eating or why maybe if they're a woman, why they're not feeding their husband properly and all these different types of things that they get. So I'm glad that you say that, especially coming from that culture as well. So realistically, it's just a sense of, like you said, living true to what you want and just understanding the differences in mentality. And is that pretty much all that's come down to for you? I think so, yeah, because it, you can't change everybody. You can't change the world. You can't change the minds of people. And you know that they're not really saying it in a bad way. You know that they're, it comes from, it doesn't come from a space of always negative, at least with me, that's the way I take it. it it's not coming yeah. from, from a space of negativity and from a space of, you know, trying to pull the other person's hand. But it's generally just the mindset of the person. You have to, generally just work around that or ignore the aspects that you feel aren't aligned with your mindset and as long as you know you're not harming anybody you're doing the right thing health and fitness is about eating right a lot of this is to do with nutrition a lot of these the lifestyle diseases and health and all of these things you have to eat right if you don't eat right and you eat you know sometimes with culture there is the sweets there is the oil like a lot of Indian houses have a lot of vegetables oil in them it's they don't understand the carb aspect of it, or there'd be a lot of butter or clarified fats in the food, and you have to generally stop all of those things when you have to get heart healthy and you know reduce the risk of these lifestyle diseases. So you can't help but have to ignore the traditional aspect of it and look at it from a health aspect, essentially. Yeah, I like that a lot. It's kind of the same sense of saying with someone in your family has a different political view that you have. It doesn't mean that you just agree with them and choose to change your political party based on their opinion, right? It's that you have different minds, you have different priorities, and you have different levels of education and upbringing. So it's just about recognizing those two things are different. And no matter how they kind of compound you with all of these like reasons as to why you shouldn't, like you said, it's not coming from a necessarily a negative space. It's just maybe coming from a misinformed space and just a different mentality ultimately. So I'm glad that you has touched on that in quite a lot of depth. And something you just mentioned there is obviously heart health and obviously lifestyle diseases as well. When I think about the health and fitness industry, I look at it from a very positive perspective in the sense that more and more people are beginning to start their training journeys, their nutrition journeys, ultimately just their health and fitness journeys. 
And I live in the space where I see a lot of people making positive changes. However, when you look at the stats, maybe it's the same in India. I know it's the same in the UK and the US and all these other different places. It seems statistically things don't seem to be getting as much better as they might seem within my health and fitness bubble where I meet a lot of people committing to their journeys. Do you see a reason why that that's the case in terms of why it seems like so many people are starting health and fitness journeys, but the statistics still seem to be going in a direction that's not super favorable for our health? Yeah, exactly. When you look at the population, you look at the numbers, there definitely are people that are more aware and are more into health and fitness than previous generations. But I don't think that number is strong enough or big enough to compete with the number that is still eating unhealthy or still is misinformed about all these aspects of health and fitness. And so I think that there is a rising challenge in the healthcare industry where, you know, there is the obesity challenge, there is the cardiovascular epidemic. I mean, India is the capital of diabetes, essentially, and it's everywhere. So you have to have more information and there has to be larger numbers, I think, hopefully, on health and fitness, which isn't this presently. So if I could make you the president partner and I could just wave my magic wand and you're now in charge of the health of everyone in India and the world as well, what things would you encourage people to do to start changing the direction of that number? So with cardiovascular health, I'd say there's very simple things. There's things like, because all of these are just very modifiable risk factors, most of them. So one thing would be smoking, which is probably the largest risk factor for heart disease, diabetes, all of these things. Statistically, there's a 39% in, stress, uh, in uh, cardiovascular risk reduction over five years once you stop smoking. So I think the first thing would be smoking cessation. Another thing that I can think of is, uh, you know, eating right. Your diet is very important. So again, the misinformation between good fat and bad fat, eating red monosaur, there needs to be enough knowledge around that aspect. So one thing would be eating right. Getting the information from a nutritionist or a dietitian if you don't have enough knowledge. Not focusing on fad diets and focusing on the right sustainable diets that you can follow for the rest of your life so you are reducing your cardiovascular risk. Physical activity being a very important aspect. So the American Heart Association says, you know, find 15 minutes of moderate activity every week or 75 minutes of high level activity every week. So things like that, or just even a 30-minute walk every day really reduces the cardiovascular risk. Because physical inactivity, again, is an important risk factor for heart disease. It's one of the top five risk factors for developing heart disease. I mean, activity and regular physical activity brings down the risk of heart attack by almost 25%. And so that is a huge number. So a simple thing like a walk every day is not difficult to do, I think. So that is my top three, I would say. Besides which, of course, screening, regular screening, hypertension, checking for diabetes, checking your CRP levels and having regular sort of health checkups and health screenings help to pick up on certain factors that are maybe playing up and sort of bring that down and tone that down. Hopefully with lifestyle, if not with medication. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully it can be by lifestyle, but in some cases it does help to start with medication, then transitioning off with the aid of lifestyle interventions as well so with that being said you've probably piqued a lot of curiosity to people today and they maybe want to get started on their health and fitness journey it's all starting from like ground zero like little to no knowledge on their health and fitness maybe they're between 10 and 20 kilos overweight they're bordering on the edge of potentially being diabetic they're pre-diabetic at this moment in time 
where does that person start with their health and fitness journey? I'd like to start with the person who's maybe at ground zero, maybe the person who's just getting started, and the person who's maybe a little bit more advanced. So let's start with the person who's 10, 20 kilos overweight, bordering on the edge of those lifestyle and related diseases. Where do they get started? The first thing would be to uh, lose the weight. If you're bordering 10, 20 kilos, you really need to bring down that. EMI, you know, all of these things are abdominal girth is another it's, it's the first thing you do is try to bring down that weight. With diet, with exercise, so eating right, eating right fats. Now, fat, the whole thing about carbs and fats. Now, carbs are not bad. You know, fat is not bad, but it's all about moderately eating the right quantities, eating the right quality of fats. You don't want to eat the saturated fats. You don't eat the unsaturated fats. Things like that. Getting your diet right, eating the supplements that you need, making sure you're nutritionally sort of informed is the first thing. If you don't have that knowledge, you know, maybe see a nutritionist, so that would be important. If you're pre-diabetic and diabetic, you really need to then see a doctor because if you are, if your insulin is high and your sugars are high, you need to bring that down. And that may have to start with medications then if you've reached that point of, you know, diabetes. And you have to at least start with the insulin. Diabetes usually you have medicine because that is not something you can easily reverse once that sets in. When you're diabetic, you can really reverse. So it, it's sort of an alarm bell that you really need to look at and say, okay, I'm going there. I don't want to go there. And so I really to get that diet right is the first thing. The second thing would be physical activity, of course, doing anything that you love starting with. Some form of physical activity, maybe walks, maybe swim, maybe anything that sort of helps you bring that, you know, weight down. So, basic, even a basic cardio activity like half an hour or one hour would help you overall lose that weight. I advocate a lot of strength training to people as well because I find that it has helped me lose a lot of weight personally. Even. Yeah. So I think the mix of what I would really suggest for somebody who has access would be a mix of HRIT and strength workouts as well as of course cardio workouts for weight production. So these would be two uh, very important things. Then screening for other things like hypertension, things like that. And again going to a doctor if you have those sort of conditions and you know, if you need the treatment, at least in the beginning, you start. And then once you've actually got your parameters in line, you can look at then weaning off certain medications, like the hypertensive yeah. medications and things like that. Amazing. And when it comes to the nutrition side of things, you mentioned, obviously, the difference between good fats and bad fats and carbs, and we haven't touched too much on protein. What's your general recommendation? Of course, it's going to be tailored to every single individual, but maybe some top three absolute must do's when it comes to your nutrition and three absolute like let's get rid of this immediately all right so the top three definitely i mean of course again everyone's by individual so we need to look at everyone's nutritional needs differently but what i usually recommend is a protein diet a low not not a zero carb but a low carb eat, eat the sourdough bread or eat the whole grains you eat a lot of whole grains maybe eat some brown rice things like that that in moderation so quantity is one thing that i would say another thing i would say is don't you know rule out fats is all bad look at good fats like avocado or eat things like flax seeds or eat things like uh, you know fish oil or walnuts things like that so get your omega-3 get your omega-6 which is actually very good for your cholesterol because it raises your hdl it reduces your ldl cholesterol so things like that are very good 
but you know things that I would avoid were of course saturated trans fats. So anything fried, even sauerkraut, things like butter and things like that. Occasionally, yes, but not every day on your toast or things like that. That is one thing I would definitely avoid eating processed meats like you know, your sausages and hams is what I would avoid eating stuff instead would be like boiled chicken, things like that, which are fresher meats would be the substitute of what I would say. And another thing I would be, you know, talking about controlling the sweets, I think being low sugar, which would be really bad, especially if you're bordering on diabetes and pre-diabetes. That is a big no for people like that. Yeah, I think that's huge. And you mentioned the high protein diet was probably the first thing you would recommend. How do you do that with vegans and vegetarians? I find that they always have a bit of a challenge when it comes to consuming protein, if they're not eating meats or eggs or fish or anything along those lines. Yeah, so it's definitely a challenge, even for me. I mean, I'm an egg-eater and I don't eat chicken. I used to eat So uh, one thing would be, you have to sort of know that pure protein is eggs and meat. But things like parsley and dogs is one, one way, especially with Indian food, that we have the protein in. But knowing that it also has a large amount of fat in it, and it's not a purely protein substance. So you have to, you know, work around it, look at your calorie values and sort of then reduce the rest of your carbs in the diet and sort of adjust around that with them. Eating things like soy, eating things like tofu is something, or tempeh is something that I find useful. I even have a weight protein shake because I then do a lot of weight training as well. So I definitely somebody like who weight trains needs you know, protein intake. So I, I have a shake every day. <laughs> so I do that. I eat the eggs. So for people who eat the eggs, I think that is the best way eating the egg part. Sometimes the egg yolk, egg yolk is fine. Maybe for having, say, four eggs, you eat one egg yolk makes three egg whites and things like that. So that is something that I do. These are generally the vegetarian things. I don't know whether there is anything much like soy is one thing again, but it's you have to work around it. There's only so much you can do with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's just like this gentle acceptance. I think that it's like walking into a restaurant and expecting to have the menu full of vegan options. It's just not going to be that way. We don't live in that world and things get a little bit more accessible and accessible when it comes to vegetarians and vegans. I know my mom's been a vegetarian for as long as I've been alive and, you know, 20, 30 years ago, she wouldn't have really been able to find many options whatsoever. But she kind of accepted that, okay, well, this is my lifestyle choice and it's going to be a little bit harder for me. So I just have to work within that. And I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. It's like, okay, you're probably not going to have as many options, but it's just about working with what you have and recognizing that something is better than nothing. And yes, you might not be able to get like a pure protein source where you can eat a chicken breast and get 30 grams of protein without any fats or carbs. But at the same time, it's just like you said, balancing out the remainder of your macros. And if you don't have that information, reaching out to a nutritionist or a coach that can guide you on that as well. So transitioning onto the person who's maybe got a side on their journey, maybe they've taken your advice and they are now in a position where they are pretty healthy they've gotten their nutrition in a good place their training in a good place but they're looking for the next step they want to be in amazing shape they just want they want to go from good to great how do you guide that type of person who's got the foundations in place what's like the next level for those who have been able to come off their medication they've been able to get their body fat into a reasonable position where do they go from there so i think one thing is it's you celebrate where you're at definitely and then everyone has goals that they want to work towards so what I would say is the first thing is with your exercise. So if they're doing their normal walks or things like that, you raise your exercise levels to something that is more 
intense you do more intense HRTs you do things like that maybe CrossFit although it is very enjoyable personal experience again but you you sort of raise your exercise levels you raise your weight training level so that is the first thing I would say that really helps you transform your body and get really really fit one thing would be you know maybe if you're eating right and you're generally eating healthy but then you get into really scientific thinking about nutrition so Look at your macros. One way would be to, you know, focus on macro. And if you want to sort of get more muscle mass, you sort of raise your protein levels and reduce your carbs and things like that. So you really tweak it to reach that next level. Then, so the two things are, I think, diet and exercise. Because I'd be like this because they're already, you know, doing the rest of the things. Assuming they're sleeping well, assuming they're, you know, fulfilled, they're mentally happy. All of those are two aspects. If they feel like they're not. Mentally in the place they want to be, you start working on those then different aspects, which are not your traditional health aspects, which are also very important for overall health, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on sleep there, and I think it's probably one of the most underrated and maybe undervalued aspect of both a health journey and also a fat loss journey as well. And I think that we underestimate it and then end up being tripped up by it a little bit later where we don't get the respect it deserves. Why is sleep so important? And if someone isn't sleeping super well at this moment in time and maybe they are struggling on their battles journey, what tips do you give them to start prioritizing out a little bit more, getting more restful sleep in, either in terms of quantity and quality? So yeah, I mean, especially with the modern urban world, the circadian rhythm is very important to maintain. And a lot of people actually have a lot of trouble sleeping now and as, you know, with urbanizing more and more the same problem we're all facing and besides it being a hindrance to the fat loss journey and all of that it is also a cardiovascular risk you know, yeah. are increasing your risk of heart disease and developing heart attacks and things like that if you're not getting enough sleep so it is a very important aspect to consider when you look at your overall health and well-being so one thing to do is really essentially is creating a pre sort of sleep uh, sort of rhythm around your, your, your routine, maybe having some green tea, one thing would be to, you know, if you're watching TV or things like that, you switch off an hour before sleeping, dim the lights to try and, you know, get into that sleep mode. And there are certain hormones that get released into your body when you are you know, getting into sleep mode and then start the circadian rhythm. So you try to do all those things, maybe green tea, listen to some soft music, Things like that. If that isn't helping, even doing sleep study or even the Apple Watch nowadays has, you know, the sleep cycle and it sort of helps you track your sleep. So if you feel like things aren't working, there are sleep studies now that neurologists even do that help you look at sleep in a very detailed way and help you sort of. And melatonin is another thing that you could possibly take. But again, that is on prescription, so you should. Your doctor before you start that. But I have found that melatonin supplements help you sleep better and sort of regulate that sleep pattern. Yeah, I'm glad that you touched on some of the things that we can do to improve it because I think it's something that we very much underestimate. And like I said, with the modern world that we live in and kind of everything going on at 24 hours per day, it makes it much, much harder to get that rest. And that's usually the thing that I find trips a lot of people up is that it's not that. I mean, there's many impacts to sleep, but it's just, I find that it makes everything else a little bit harder. So when it comes to your nutrition goals, it becomes a little bit harder. When it comes to showing up and performing within your training, especially if you're not someone who loves training or exercise yet, it makes it a little bit harder as well. So it's just about making sure that you're giving yourself a, 
like setting yourself up for success ultimately as well. So I think that's a really, really important aspect as well. So we've gone past the point of someone who's started from ground zero, someone who's in a good position now as well. So we're maybe looking at someone like yourself who's been training for a while, who's gotten themselves into the shape that they want to be. How would you then push on to achieve the next level of your health and fitness and you maintain this for a long term as well? Because I find a lot of people, once they hit their goals, of course, they want to sustain things, but they don't have that same drive and motivation that they had when they first started. So how do we now maintain this for the long term? So it's not just, ah, oh, we got in shape for our holiday. We feel amazing. Let me go back. Like, how do we get people to maintain this long term basis? So one thing is definitely with workouts. It's to find something that you actually enjoy doing. And set goals. What I try to do is I try to set unrealistic goals even for myself because now I'm I'm at my level where I'm trying to do handstands and I'm trying to do these reverse hang wing things and I'm doing these crazy ass things that that are very difficult. I've been at them for years. So I think one thing to do is challenge yourself because then it makes your workouts exciting. It makes you do things that are not possible. And when you're not, you know, very comfortable in your workouts, you're usually more motivated. I think at least because when you get comfortable, you get complacent and then you sort of feel like, oh, I'm very good. And so one thing is to set unrealistic goals for yourself. And you know, and it's not really unrealistic because you'll get there if you keep at it. And so that is something that helps me you know, stay at it with that. My nutrition is something I think you know, I need to work on personally, I would say. So for somebody who needs to work on nutrition i think it is a constant journey and you need to keep reminding yourself why you're doing what you're doing in the first place and sometimes i find that again like the wheel is interconnected what i find is that when you're exercising and pushing yourself so much with that you usually try to be you know good with your food because you're putting in all that effort when you're exercising and you're physically exhausted when you're doing these things so you are generally more mindful about what you're eating and so Another thing would be practicing mindfulness and reminding yourself while you're doing these things in the first place helps you to stay connected to your higher purpose, I would say. Yeah, no, I think that's huge. And I think it's just a case of recognizing like each season of your life is going to be slightly different. So it's always important to remind yourself, like you said, what goals am I working towards? Make them slightly out of reach. So you're kind of excited to work towards them. And it feels like, I think there's a fine balance, right? It's like you said, if the level of the game that you're playing is too easy you get bored of it if it's way too hard then you're like okay i'm never going to reach it but if it's somewhere like within reach but it's just like a little bit further away from where you are i think that's the perfect place to be because it's motivating you like actually i can genuinely see how i'm going to get there i just i'm not there right now so it keeps you excited to go back to motivate you to work on it and then the same aspect with nutrition as well it's like trying to find that space where okay maybe i can introduce a little bit of flexibility here but i still need to keep these goals on point and how much flexibility do you personally introduce to your nutrition at this stage because i think that's a big thing a lot of people when they get started they feel maybe a little bit more restricted they need to make a lot more aggressive changes but what's it look like on the other side when you do get to a position where you've achieved your goals, you're sustaining things, how much flexibility do you allow to come in when it comes to your nutrition specifically? Yeah, what I would say is maybe a cheat meal a week or maybe every 15 days, a cheat meal on a cheat day is something that I would consider okay because I feel like maybe one day on the weekend you with your friends and you do something like that. Once you've achieved the level of want to achieve and you're generally healthy and your parameters are all normal, I think that is okay to do. But beyond that, I wouldn't do too much. And I would say the week, at least be very, very strict with yourself and be, you know, also enjoy the journey. I don't feel like, I mean, with me now, I don't feel like it is essentially 
cheat on a cheat because I feel like even the food can be very interesting, even though it's healthy. So you can try to get interesting with the cooking and doing at home. So one thing would be home cooked meals. I think if you're, you know, playing around the kitchen, if that is something people enjoy doing and cooking and doing interesting things with their food while looking at the nutritional value of it, you can always have fun around healthy food and it doesn't have to be unpalatable or boring to eat. So I think that that is something that I enjoy doing personally, even at home. So it keeps me motivated. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. So I don't feel like it's cheating essentially when I'm eating something out or I feel like I'm going too hard on myself. But just being mindful about what you're doing is important and what you're putting into your body, I think is what I would say is sort of take away from this. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that most people desire those foods that are not quote unquote within what they would typically have because they haven't found a way to make their day-to-day foods as interesting as they could be. And I think that that is maybe like a, a hack to your health and fitness journey. It's like if you're eating foods that you enjoy on a day-to-day basis, you don't have quite as much desire to go too far astray from that. So occasionally you will, like you said, when you're out with your friends and you haven't tried something for a while, you haven't had anything. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. But it's not like you're craving it on a day-to-day basis because you genuinely enjoy the food that you're having and you also know the benefits that are coming from that as well. So I like that take as well. So rather this has been an amazing conversation. I want to wrap up with a final couple of questions. So the first that I have is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do? Uh, what impact is, this is a great question, definitely. So the impact that I'd like to have is definitely helping the world sort of think about preventing illnesses and preventing diseases and working on their lifestyle. And I really want there to be a shift in the healthcare systems. And if I could be any part in that, that would be hugely helpful from just focusing on sick care to healthcare, helping people lead happier and healthier lives, disease-free and longer lives would be amazing. And to actually connect with people and help them be an instrument in that journey would be so, so Yeah. I love that. I feel like you're very, very much gotten started on that mission and I'm sure that you're only going to continue to do more of that. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? So I think the best place to find me would either be my website or my Instagram. It's at Boreover underscore care. And my website is booroverclub.com. So it has all the information about what I do, how to contact me. So that'd be the best place. Amazing. We'll make sure that all of that is in the show notes below. But thank you so much for today, Prapna. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This was great. This was really great. Thank you. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcast from and go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes also if you like the episode please don't forget to give it a five-star rating I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have so reach out to me on social media you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one